This is Rock and Roll Grad School with your hosts, Heidi Hetzner and Luke Poland. Hello, kitties. We're going to have a real good time together. Welcome to episode one of Rock and Roll Grad School. Oof. Here we Number are. We one. finally made it. Yeah, I know. Um, this is a new show, as I guess episode one would perhaps tip you off. Yes. Uh, dedicated to talking to anything to do with music. Music fans, music listeners, music makers. Music biographers. Uh, music biographers. Yes. And so we are starting today with our first four episodes to give you a full taste of everything and episode 01 is chris hillman from, from the birds and the flying burrito brothers and a bunch of other things yes yes and he is so so cool he is and, and even ahead. though he would even though you didn't you get to, to really, talk to me yes we <laughs> should we should mention this and acknowledge yes, this that's fine chris through his years of media interviews uh clearly and i think understandably hates the morning zoo format yes as not that we. that's what yeah that's not what we're really <laughs> doing but when he hears i think multiple voices it's just like no get me out of here i'll be in the right. car so i only did the conversation with him as but i was on the phone you were on the phone and, and as i had lovely I, conversation with him that's true it's not recorded very true yes so we are sharing this with you, but don't let it, don't think it's indicative of future episodes. Right. So you are still stuck with me. Exactly. Yes. Like it yes. or not. Exactly. And then one thing I wanted to discuss, I don't know if you saw this. Um, it is called, uh, what is it here? It is called Fully Finished Outtakes. Have you heard of this? This Rolling Stones bootleg that just came out? I have, but I have not heard details of such thing. So it's a, what would be a three disc set of fully finished, lovely sounding studio outtakes over the 50 years of the Rolling Stones that just showed up online. Yes. Nobody knows who got them out, what the reasoning is. Um, I guess there's some thoughts that it's a copyright thing. Mm. So okay. other people don't get the music. Mm -hmm. But here's the one that I thought you would be incredibly excited by because it, it, I was sort of like, ooh, I got to listen to this one. It is a demo of It's Only Rock and Roll yes. from December 1973. Okay. Uh, Mick is on guitar and vocals. Um, on guitar, bass, and singing along is Ron Wood. Okay. Which is interesting because 73, he was not in the band yet. Correct. He was still in Faces. Yes. On drums was Kenny Jones, who was also in Faces at the time. And yes. would later go on and join The Who. Mm -hmm. And then do you know the last person who was on this? Well, it clearly wasn't Keith. It was not. <laughs> Singing backup and hand claps was David Bowie. <sighs> and That's... And that just yeah. opens it all right up. And so this has been a much rumored recording that nobody has heard. I guess Is that part when of they the, fell in love. It might have been. Right. We got to get Angie on. We have on to show. get Angie. We yeah. really have to get Angie. So, but this was something that everybody like talked about because I guess they took the tape 
mixed everybody out except Mick and then had the rest of the band play around him. And so Mick Taylor was playing on it, not Ron Wood. And the, this version of it, like you can clearly hear Ron Wood very drunkenly singing along in the background yes. and the guitar is unmistakable. Bowie is a little bit harder to discern. Okay. But I feel like if you listen to it, and maybe this is just me wanting, you know, David Jones to be on there. I know. I feel like I hear him. He's there. You can hear him. Uh, it's so. Um, we, we, you, we, we'll be able to hear him. And know. So if you are not feeling like three hours of Rolling Stones outtakes, including stuff from know. the 90s. Oh, well, okay. That cuts it down to like two. But I could do right. the two hours. Yeah. There's really some good stuff on there. And, and then, I mean, obviously stuff off Emotional Rescue. You don't need that. You can just no. toss that right out. Right. Um, but where, going, where is Keith? He's not on that one. I know, but where is he? Uh, he was probably 73. What would you think? Switzerland getting his bug cleaned, maybe? Probably. That's probably right. Yeah. Consider yourself a country musician who plays rock and roll, or a rock and roll musician who plays country. That's, you know, that's a that's a good that's a great question. I I really I think I'm more of a country musician. What I brought into the birds was my bluegrass background. I never was. A, I loved rock and roll, Luke. I actually mm-hmm. loved it. And having grown up at the supreme time of it all in '55, '56, when it was just the best. I couldn't wait to go buy singles. I'd go back. I'd go. I'd save up my money, buy it. But uh, I remember specialty records had Little Richard, and uh, Chess had Chuck Berry. But I just couldn't wait to get down and and uh, get those singles. My brother had a 45 record player. Only played 45. They were very popular in the 50s when they came out with 45. And uh, he went off to the Air Force Academy. And I inherited that. So I had this great. It was a square box with a speaker. All my 45s would go in there. It's a long answer to the question, but I was, uh, you know, I went from that, and then I got totally immersed in country and bluegrass folk music in uh, 1960. And there and, you go. And yeah, and you look uh, on the at the back of your book, you have a list of a sort of impartial discography, and it goes on for five pages. Your career has led you to play in a number of groups with a number of musicians, some of whom might be labeled as difficult, but let's not name names. What do you credit your success to play so well with so many people? What makes you a good person to play with? I might, it might have been hired as the <laughs> ultimate mediator slash Henry Kissinger figure. I shouldn't say Henry Kissinger. I don't know yeah. about that <laughs> legacy, but... Uh, I really didn't. I, I wasn't. I wasn't uh, looking, Luke, to be a, a rock star, country star, uh, solo star. I wasn't. I didn't really have the confidence to handle that. And I wasn't looking for that. I was. I really enjoyed being in, a, in an ensemble setup and playing. Um, I, I really think I was sort of a uh, calming force in. Some of the groups I worked in, there were some interesting. You know, you take you take a group. Not everyone was, um, shall we say, difficult. Maybe one or two people in a group, or maybe one. But uh, it was never, uh, never not something one could manage with 
patience. God knows I don't have any patience, even going on 76. But <laughs> I must have had patience with some of those people I worked with, I, I tell you. Yeah. Is there a group that you've played with where you look back and think, just skill-wise, that was the best group of people I've ever played with, from musicianship to vocally just blows everyone else out of the water? Well, I, I'd say the Desert Rose Band. I always put it, it's like uh, we were in the 90th percentile on live performances. There, we didn't, there wasn't anybody that bad that had any baggage. I'm bringing any baggage into it, be it uh, substance issues or whatever, nothing. Everybody was such a professional, but not to uh, uh, the degree of, of sacrificing the quality of what we were doing, the art. And that was the one band uh, that was just fantastic to work with. However, I have an addendum to that. The last thing I did was with the Marty Stewart and the Superlatives and Roger McGuinn. That could very well be the, the finest tour I've ever been on. Uh, the musicianship was exemplary. Marty is a fantastic, wonderful guy. The guys in the band are wonderful. They've been with him 20 years, 30 years, I don't know. Uh, there's obviously, he, he's a, a wonderful band leader. He treats the utmost of respect. And, of course, working with Roger McGlynn, as, as I said, look, it was always a pleasure. He was a complete professional. And that just, uh, that's part of it all. So, so it was a, from the band that I had with the Desert Rose Band was probably the greatest bunch of guys to work with. And uh, soon to be followed by Marty Stewart, the Spurless. You know? I mean, those guys are like the role model for, for groups, really, if you look at how they are. But they're very uh, serious, focused with their music and everything. That's what it's all about. Well, those of us on the East Coast, COVID aside, do you think ever get to hear the chance uh, to hear you guys play together, play Sweetheart of the Rodeo? Because I was, I was standing there with my money in hand already. Uh, oh, gosh. <laughs> well, uh, we recorded every night, every okay. show we recorded. I'm so, I am going to have that discussion with Marty and Roger about we should think about putting some kind of a record out. Or a, 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 It was really, they were great shows every night. I don't think we'll ever do it again. I think it was a one-off thing where we were celebrating that particular point in time, the, the anniversary, 50th anniversary. Um, does it, it doesn't mean that I wouldn't work with Marty and or Roger in any, any kind of situation because they were a joy to work with, as I've said. Um, as far as me going out, I was supposed to go out in September to start promoting the book with uh, John Jorgensen and Herb Peterson, so that has been pushed off like everybody else in uh, right. entertainment. Um, I think we're still on for Florida in January, God willing, and then uh, April, uh, or February, rather, we start in Texas, and we have some shows, so we'll see. I'm, 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 uh, I'm sort of looking at it like you are. I'm looking at it like, is this guy, am I, as I said, am I not, not going to play live anymore? The last show I did, uh, uh, John Jorgensen had a, his bluegrass band up here in Ventura, where I live on the coast, and they played at a at a at the fairgrounds, so it was one of those shows where you can drive up and pay pre for your car. You pay X amount of dollars, and they built a stage, and everybody. Sing. So I sat in with John's bluegrass band. I played a couple songs, but it was so odd, Luke. Uh, you finished the song, and everybody's honking their horn. And I, I think I told the audience, I said, "Gee, I hope this isn't my last show." <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> I like to have people applaud. You can't really talk or tell an anecdote or anything. It's just like quite strange music. But I'm having, I have faith that we will have live music again, uh, that theaters will open. Broadway, for God's sakes, 
Yeah. All these things. It's, it really, that was hurt everything in the, in the, in the realm of live entertainment. Um, has to be resolved. It has to be resolved at some point in time. So we'll see. Yeah, hope springs eternal. Yeah, exactly. Well, we're we're all in a day-to-day existence in some sense, you know. Mm -hmm. I think after next week, things should settle down after next Tuesday. Fingers crossed. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens, um, how that's going. Anyway. What's, of all the bands you've played with, what's your favorite band name? I'm voting for the Scottsville Squirrel Barkers, but that might be the best band name ever. I couldn't say no to that. That's <laughs> that to me was one of the great band names. <laughs> uh, and Ed Douglas, uh, our bass player, came up with that. Of course, there's a story in the book about the, him growing up in Scottsville, Kentucky. And I don't know if this is a true story, but it sounds great. We so go out to hunt. We hunt squirrels. I think I wrote about in the book and. And you didn't want to kill the squirrel. They'd run up the tree, and you want to wing him. You want to wound him and knock him unconscious. And, and uh, very obviously, a very small boar, small caliber uh, round. And the squirrel falls on the ground, and he's out cold. But you got more of a dinner ready for you. If that makes sense. I was a great story. I'm assuming it may be. Some, there may be some truth to it. So. Does it really matter? No, no, no. no. <laughs> But there's always truth to myth, right? <laughs> so it's a little bit of truth around the myth. So that's a great name, uh, Scottsville Squirrel Barkers. Brito Brothers is pretty good. I think, um, mm. in all honesty, we, uh, gosh, uh, came up with that in 68, um, 67, 68. Yeah, but that was a good name, too. But, you know, I mean, they're all different. The birds always has a, a certain amount of... Um, uh, class to it. I, I love the birds. I just I feel like that. I was lucky to be in that band. I I think uh, in that we all all that we did, most of what we did, st- stood the test of time so well, you know. And um, mm-hmm. that was a great band, you know. And it's great to work with mm-hmm. McGuinn again. He he was you know great. It just we'd get up with Marty and uh, uh, we'd hit a couple bird songs and it was like you know Marty's band knows them probably better than we did <laughs> but yeah, it was a, that was so much fun to, to uh, sing some of the songs with, the, with those guys and you mentioned the burrito brothers uh the shadow of graham parsons seems to loom large throughout the book and he keeps kind of popping up for somebody who was friends with him and and saw his rise and, and his eventual tragic fall is there something that you wish people who have fallen in love with his voice and with his songs knew about him that you as someone who knew him personally and had a, a friendship with him that you knew that maybe the rest of us don't. Uh, Graham was a very uh, funny man. He's very funny, uh, very high intellect. And Emmy Lewis said it once to me, she said, you know, Graham existed on a different plane. I said, that's pretty well put. Yeah. Um, I think uh, the biggest uh, stumbling block for for poor Graham was, and I said, no pun intended, but the wealth that he inherited, and coming from this very very wealthy family, and all, and having a when I met him, he, he was getting a trust fund stipend of fifty five plus a year, fifty five thousand to sixty five thousand every single January, and it's hard uh, when you have that safety, that comfort level, it, it, it inhibits your quest for the thing. I mean, Graham was 
certainly was looking for it and uh, for uh, success, and he had the drive the first year. So I'm saying uh, partly from Sweetheart of the Rodeo and into the first Flying Breeder Brothers album. And then he's got waylaid, and you're mm-hmm. hearing my dog barking. Everybody hear my dog? That's so. And right. he got waylaid along the way, and uh, and got to where the uh, pursuit of other things was more important than the career. That's where I couldn't work with him anymore. And uh, there wasn't. He was a sweet guy, Luke. It's hard. I can't sit and, and say anything bad. But he wasn't a loyal friend. He really wasn't a loyal friend. He he did things to us that we should have taken care of way back when we went to South Africa, I and mean, that was just uh, totally inappropriate. We should have mm. said, said bye-bye to him then. Um, he had uh, a couple of moments of really uh, musically really good. I mean, a couple of songs on the first album, he really nailed the vocals well. Hot Burrito 1, Hot Burrito 2, he sang them beautifully. Hmm. But then after that, it was just always so lazy, and uh, I always and I said that in the book. I, I went from playing Eight Miles High and and so I want to be a rock and roll star to the Burrito Brothers, and we had great songs. I mean, really, we had the material, but I still look over my shoulder and I feel like we didn't execute very well professionally. We didn't we really didn't uh, record them as well as we could, and we did play them as well as we could. But that's eh, watered downstream now, so it doesn't matter. But, yeah, I'm sorry. I wish uh, Graham died at 27 years old. My God. Yeah. Uh, in in comparison, you have a guy like Dwight Yoakam who had the work ethic, who had the focus, who was really going for it. And I always thought Graham would have been as successful as Dwight Yoakam if he had hmm. that drive that Dwight had. Dwight and Dwight also is very similar. He's a funny guy. He's very very intelligent. Mm-hmm. And a, a wonderful friend, and um, so and, and Dwight had the the best line ever. He said to me, "Oh gosh, it was six months ago." He said, "Hey, we I've been on a radio show, and he, I'm walking." He says, "Hey, just remember, you can't be a country singer with a trust fund." I went, "Oh my God!" I said, "Line of the night." <laughs> <laughs> but it's true, and I don't mean mm-hmm. that in a bad way, but. You know this. Every guy or everybody that's trying to be an actor on Broadway or in Hollywood, a musician, a singer, whatever, you're going to starve and you're going to have to give up a little to get something and get your foot in the door. Uh, it's very rare that somebody is uh, wealthy and can and create that uh, career. Mm. It's, it's all that. It's a matter of suffering for the career, for the art. It really is. And so there you have it. So many people have a visceral reaction with music in general, but when they hear certain songs that instantly evoke a time and a place, what comes to your mind when you hear the opening, you know, Roger's opening notes to Turn, Turn, Turn or to Sin City or So You Want to Be a Rock and Roll Star? Where do you go? You know, usually I go right back to the time we recorded it and and I I was listening to it on the radio. I mean, immediately, this is pre-music videos. So all the videos we would create in our heads, you know, you'd listen to a song, oh my God, I remember dating so-and-so, and we went to the so-and-so, where the song was on the radio. I'll never forget, we played Zeros every night, and Gloria was a huge hit then by them, Van Morrison. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, <laughs> whenever I hear it, which is rare, sometimes I, uh, actually I'm serious, I'll hear it. And I go, man, I'm in Zeros right there. I mean, I'm, I'm right there on the stage in Zeros between sets and there. 
G L O R I, you know. <laughs> and so I do that. I hear these songs, and they always bring back wonderful memories. Um, turn, turn, turn is probably the one song uh, strongly associated with the birds. Uh, it was the second number one single we had. Uh, and the Man first one you great. played on. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and Tammy Man got us in the door. There's no getting around it. I never had any. Uh, bitterness about not playing on that track. Um, I went and watched it. I liked it. Um, in hindsight, it's a, it's a great cut, and it got us going, but it's real slick. And maybe we weren't quite as tight. We certainly weren't as tight as the Wrecking Crew, but uh, it was uh, turn, turn, turn. You can see how the band sounds as the band doing the song, turn, turn, turn. It took us a few takes, and we got it. We got nailed it. It's got a different feel to it. But mm -hmm. Tambourine Man, of course, was successful. But to mm -hmm. me, it has a different feel. It's, and Tambourine Man is very slick. But I don't know if we were could have uh, done it then. But at the, that point, I think Columbia just wanted to hedge their bets. And, you know, and it worked. We got, mm -hmm. got, the, got in the door. You've been very vocal about your faith, and it again, echoes throughout the book and the role it has played in your life and the importance it has been to you. Has it influenced your music, do you think? No, somewhat. I mean, I wrote a lot of, um, not, not, you know, strongly, I wasn't proselytizing through songwriting, but I would write more of a positive lyric and sort of subtly hint at that in the last few years. Um, but, you know, and I sing in the choir when, 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 when we get to sing again. But I sing in the Orthodox, Greek Orthodox choir, which is like a night and day. It's a Byzantine liturgical um, chant, chant, but with, with music, and, and some in Greek, some in English. And it's so interesting to go from that and then go and, and play uh, songs I write or other people's songs. I had a friend of mine who's a priest back east. He says, you're the best hillbilly tenor in the Orthodox choir. <laughs> I said, I'm not sure about that, but it was a funny line. But it, it, so what I do in, in the uh, uh, secular side answers the the uh, got the got the choir singing as well as it enhancing what I do in uh, in uh, country and bluegrass and stuff. You know, that's got to be an intimidating choir to be in to turn and be like, <laughs> wait, you sang with McGuinn and Crosby? One uh, <laughs> choir I was in St. Barbara's was great. I could big one. Then the, uh, another church we go to, which is a little closer, it's a smaller choir and. But it's still it's still a, a moving experience. I love doing it. Um, I know you got to run in a second, so I want to uh, be cognizant of the the time. Have you guys looked into putting out any of those earlier uh, live bird shows? Because the only thing that's are, that's out currently is all after you've left. And uh, I would okay. love to hear some more stuff with with you and Crosby yeah. in it. Yeah. Uh, I have to. Ch I'm going to check into it. I'll talk to Roger on Friday. Please tell him I asked. I will. I'll do that. I'll ask him. I see. What do you remember that we have cut? That we have live? I, I, you know, yeah. I I don't have a particular date, but I mean, I feel like somebody must somewhere must have. You know, I mean, there's Monterey Pop and we did a, well, Monterey Pop, but we did a week at this club in L.A. The trip. Mm -hmm. And uh, we we uh, we were the headliners. Paul Butterfield Blues Band was the opener, and I'll never forget they were so good that we 
nobody even talked said anything the, we we listened to him and we, we got up there and we uh, we've ne- we never had a better week playing i hope somebody taped that week because we were on it we're not competing with butterfield by any means it's two different kinds of music but they were so good they were hungry they were going for it and we'd already had a couple of hits under our belt but so we went, uh-oh, and we started really playing good, really close and good together. We did, When the Springfield came out and they'd opened for us, they were also in the same place, hungry, they were ambitious, and very good. I always thought the Buffalo Springfield was better live than they were on record. That's saying something. Yes, well, in some degree, yeah. But anyway... Yeah, it just seems like, you know, the Fillmore shows are always somebody was rolling a tape on some of those. It seems like those are those sh- the venues that the tapes always leak out from. Um, I guess last question. Do you still have your nudie suit from that first Burrito Brothers record? And how often do you put it on? A, I have it. <laughs> B, if I put it on, I'd look like uh, Boris Karloff. I think it's fine, but it's too short. <laughs> is at the Gene Autry Western Heritage Museum in Los Angeles. And I had given it to them. This is an interesting term. Permanent loan. That's mm-hmm. the term. Oxymoron. Permanent loan. So, Time Between, My Life is a Bird, Burrito Brother, and Beyond by Chris Hillman is available right now wherever you get your books and for more information and to find out when chris will be playing live again check out his website chrishillman.com you can follow us on all the various socials you can check out our website at rockandrollgradschool.com for more grad school content and please leave us a review on itunes we're tired of asking our family members to do so today's show was produced by myself and heidi hegquist our reluctant executive producers are John Sobey and Sandy Stone. Our willing producers are Rachel Allen and Randy Jeanette. Our intern is Zach Jackson. Our graphic designer is Samantha Mastonen. This one's for Philippe. Thank you, good night, and may all your favorite bands stay together.